good morning, everyone. Um, so we will start uh, the third day of uh, Pass the Salt. We will uh, start with uh, a session about uh, uh, um, incident information sharing and uh, forensics. And so the first talk will be given by uh, Alexandre uh, about uh, MISP and uh, information sharing. Okay. So good morning, everyone. Um, good to see many people, even if some people are still drunk. All is fine. Um, so uh, today I will talk about mistakes, errors, and things that we did for the past years. Um, why I want to do that is a circle what we do. Uh, we develop software. Uh, so we do software for our own usage, uh, for incident response, uh, forensic analysis, and information sharing. And I would like to talk today about a specific, uh, I would say, journey uh, on the past year with MISP. Uh, maybe some of you are using MISP. Uh, MISP is an information sharing platform. But I will not talk too much about the tools itself. Uh, I mean, we have, we have a lot of competent people here that can go on GitHub, Git clone, and test the platforms. But I want to talk about all series of mistakes that we did. And if you want to, to have a successful project, you will break things. You will make mistakes, you will make errors. It's part of the game. So forget about everything else, it's fine. And I will talk about all the mistakes that we, we, we did. Um, so we are not afraid of talking about our mistakes. Uh, we hope it might be useful for some others. Uh, maybe our mistakes are not always correct, but it's maybe interesting too. So just quick background. So for the one that doesn't know MISP, uh, so it's basically a trade intelligence platform. Uh, we developed it for the past uh, more than six years. Uh, we have a tons of functionalities. One of the core functionalities is obviously sharing. Uh, so you can build sharing communities internally with your organizations, outside your organizations. Um, you can basically use the data for whatever purpose you want. You have tons of import, export format, and that's very important for us. It's basically not bound to a single format. Um, and that's basically be what behind the MISP itself is if people are putting data, we want that people can get our data, use it for automations, defense, uh, search of, of uh, indicators, uh, building TTP, uh, building context on the information. And that's how the project grows. So nowadays, the project is pretty big. Uh, we have more than 50 repositories nowadays uh, that are managed within the MISP project. Um, you have the core software, and you have a ton of other things that we are managing, like what we call galaxy, taxonomies, warning lists, and a lot of other things, uh, like MISP modules and so on. So you can have a, have a look at, a, at the project itself. Uh, that's giving some, some idea. And if you want to play with it, uh, that will be fun. But because back to the history and all the mistakes that we did. So basically, the project is quite, I would say, old for an open source project. It's, it's well maintained, but the usage starting really in 2012. Um, so we have many organizations using it from national governmental CSIRT, CERTs, uh, military organizations, intelligence community, NGO are using it too. So we have really a broad scope of users. So it's not only um, user into security incident response, but it's up to uh, people in security team at, at uh, organizations like Amnesty International and so on. So that's a very broad use case. Um, and then the other thing is, is really community developed. So we have more than 300 contributors. Uh, and basically, Circle is giving a lot of effort because we are using the software. And that's basically very important for us. So if we do software, we do it for ourselves. And if it works for others, it's great. So we basically are following this mantra, uh, which is eating our own dog food. So everything we do, uh, we need to use it. 
Um, I mean, for, for us, it would be pointless to, to do a tool that basically no one is, is uh, using, even ourselves. So it's something that we uh, uh, do. So now the question is more like, okay, how did you manage to do this kind of development for the past uh, six years? Uh, that's, that's the interesting aspect. So what is a model of governance? Uh, and that's something that we, we discover slowly, but our model of governance is not democracy. So sorry for that. So for the one that wanted to vote here, fuck it. So you basically have to uh, basically do a kind of um, organization that is basically bound to some specific rules, but you see that it's not really kind of democracy. Uh, and the idea is behind is it's very open. So that means gathering idea, uh, issues, use case. So you have a lot of users and so on. But I mean, as an example, if you have a lot of military organizations using your platforms, but at the same time, you have uh, non-profit organizations, uh, private organizations, and so on. You don't want that one organization is taking over the others. So you really want to basically have the right to veto at some point. If something goes wrong, you want really to avoid those kind of contributors that are basically fucking up your project. And that's the idea behind. It's basically the governance itself. At some point, you have to say, oh, hold on. Maybe there's something completely wrong here. Um, so that's very important. So, and, and something else that we have seen too is basically a lot of projects want to have the perfect implementations. And to be honest, it's bullshit. I mean, having perfect implementation never worked. What you have to do is basically to have some small incremental changes, see how it works, and you fix it based on the feedback that you get. And you can wait days and days for perfect implementation. It will never, you will never reach that goal. And something else too is we have seen we did a lot of mistakes of tools, uh, things that we did. And we basically just lay or say at some point, okay, we fucked up. We put this idea aside, we remove the code, and we shelf it somewhere else. That's, that's the idea behind too. So don't be afraid of basically, if you have a, something that you try, doesn't work, just get rid of it for the time that is not needed. So that's very important for us. And that's the model of governance of, of MISP itself. Um, and then we, we basically are involved in various organizations. And um, you have a lot of organizations that are claiming to be democratic. And that's the thing that is something that you really have to be careful as an open source developer. Um, some large organizations doing standardization and so on really like open source implementations because for them it's a tractor, uh, attraction things that you can create a software that will be used afterward to support their standard. On the other hand, those organizations seem to be democratic, but behind the scenes they are not at all. And one of the things that yeah, you have some kind of you know, trigger that might uh, inform you about the potentiality of those kind of organizations. One of them is, is basically if you tell you, oh, join this organization, it looks very nice, but you have to pay to enter this organization. So there's already some kind of interesting things. So you, you know various organizations. I will not mention those organizations to avoid any bashing, but you'll see that some organizations tend to have pay fee, and you see those ones are really a strange model of working, and you have some that are commonly open, not so democratic, so they are a kind of dictatorship too, but they work quite well. And another thing that you can see is, as an open source developer, if you basically cannot afford to have a full-time person into the standardization organizations, you are sometimes fucked up. I mean, really fucked up. So that means you contribute on some part and so on, and then tell you, ah, yeah, but you know, you don't participate to all the, every conf code that you have, so you cannot vote. So I'm talking about experience here. So we basically had this in the past. And that's very interesting is, if you have some kind of fake democracy, for standardization, you can, this can be, can, uh, can be problematic. So just look when you do the open source development to join organization and group that are open to your contribution and so on, and really 
put in advance what you, you contribute and not the pay fee that you give to the organizations. So <clears throat> some of the things that we had seen, and, and that's why we, we, we were shifting from a kind of democracy into a kind of dictatorship, is basically pressures from others. And at the early version of, of MISP, we, we got some large users, and those large users were pushing us in one direction, saying that, OK, we wanted a platform for doing indicator sharings, but we don't want context of information around it. And I think that was a mistake at that time. So we basically now are trying to recover back from that. But from the early stage, as a free software developer and as a user of the platform, we're like, yeah, but context was interesting. So sometimes you want to be really nice with organization using it, but sometimes you have to tell those organizations that maybe what they do is not correct. So that's something that you have to keep in mind too. Some organizations, for example, propose really bad idea, things that you really don't want. But you want to be open, inclusive. Um, that's the thing that sometimes you have to say that, okay, even if you are inclusive and so on, you want to basically say, okay, maybe your idea is really bad. And you have to tell them directly. Uh, we, we still have some functionality in MISP that we incorporated for being inclusive, and we still pay for it. We still have issue with that. So that's something that you have to keep in mind too. So that's why we, we, we shift this kind of models and so on. So the question is like, why as an open source and as a person's project, you want to standardize your project, or you want to standardize your format, your protocol, your exchange. Um, and that's coming from a different way, and that's, this angle is interesting. So a lot of people wanted to have tools that incorporate with MISP and use a format. And by default, we were doing a format, but we didn't document very well the format itself. So we wanted to go in the reverse way, so we want to standardize the format without basically coming from a community and designing something like, you know, of uh, tons of documents to define a standard, we came from code to the uh, standard. And that's the thing that we are doing now uh, with the MISP. We go to the IOTF, we have uh, an internet draft, and we publish. But the standard itself is the implementation, not the reverse way around. And that's really something that is very interesting because you can confront your idea with real implementation. If you don't do that, you might hit some issues. And for us, it was like a, a quick win because as we have the standard, all implementation can just look at the document that was pretty clear, and then they can implement their own uh, action. And that's the thing that is with, currently with open source project is missing. Sometimes it's integration with other tools. I mean, we are doing a lot of work with other projects. For example, the Hive and MISP are doing a lot of integrations and we use the standard. But we have tons of other projects and open source projects that we're interested in, but we really want to have this kind of standard flow of, of integrations. I mean, it's, it's not very good if you have uh, to fight, again, proprietary software versus open source, you see that so even some proprietary software are much better into integrating with other tools than open source software, which is like a paradox by itself. So that's why you need to standardize at some point. You need to document your API, you need to document your format, and then you bring more users into your platforms. Uh, and thing that we have seen is a lot of standard bodies are, are basically going from a consensus-based development, uh, but they don't do really practical validations until they publish a standard which is usually too late. A lot of standards that failed was due to the fact that they published a standard, but the real implementation was just a test implementation somewhere, but not a real concrete implementation. Um, and at some point, I think it's, it's, it's very, very important, if you have a like, kind of, of discussion, development, and so on, get all ideas, that's fine, but throw ideas very often. Um, and think, if you do implementation very early, you can only see where your standard has issues, security issues, interoperability issues, and so on. And 
that's, that's very important. And, and I'm going back to that. Is, is really code is law for us. That means the code that you have behind is defining the standards. And that's really nice because if you see error in your implementation, you see error in the uh, standard, and you have gradual changes into your standard. And standards evolve too. And that's something that you have to keep in mind too. So a lot of people are asking us, okay, how do you do your governance of development and so on? And a lot of discussion we had was like, okay, how do you do your development? How do you make kind of um, standardization around? How do you do your processes and so on? And to be honest, we had no real processes. And I think it was an advantage. And maybe some of you knows about this one. So it's a well-known uh, model called programming motherfucker, do you speak it? So it's basically the idea behind is there's nothing like things like defining the process of developing and so on. It's basically develop something, test it, confront to real idea. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, you do it again. And that's a very simple model. But this simple model is working. The problem is no one is defining it. Because this model, you can have traditional waterfall models or scrum, whatever. You can call it whatever you like. But you see those kind of models are just usually defining a lot of things before you really do the hard thing, coding and programming the stuff. So that's why we, we have this model that people need to code, test, validate the stuff, and then if it failed, we start it again. It's fine. No problem with that. Uh, and that's something that you have really to be proud of you is you have to be proud of your mistakes and proud of the code that you produce. Uh, and if it's crappy, you, are, you have to be proud of throwing away too and basically say that, okay, I don't care about my code and I do it again. Uh, just for the fun of it, uh, we did an internet draft uh, from the PMF models called the Programming, uh, uh, programming uh, Methodology Framework, which is basically stand for PMF, obviously, so Programming Motherfucker. Um, so, another thing behind is, is a lot of standardizations and standardization process are staying laid behind. So that means they are looking theoretical models. I mean, maybe some of you are familiar with standardization process, but they basically start with kind of idea of something and then they pile additional things and it's basically shaky foundations. Uh, and, and that's a, a major problem in a lot of standardization process. It's like, okay, it's, it's not perfect, but we, we reach a kind of consensus, you know. Uh, do we have to choose between like 32 bits, 64? No, we basically take 45 bits. You know, it looks like more is a consensus, but at the end is, is a mistake. I mean, the technical decision was crap. Um, so you really have to, to keep things as very simple. And um, the thing is, if you keep something really simple, you can make modularize it and so on. And a lot of standards are basically huge monster. And if you want to change something, it's impacting the overall standard. So just a schematic one, we, we, we had some discussion about existing standards. Should we, for example, and that's one of the common mistakes. You look on the internet for standards and say, I want to build a software doing trade intelligence. Okay. I look at standard in trade intelligence to just build my models around an existing one, which is a mistake. You don't have to do that. You can basically import, export in a specific format, but you don't have to bond your internal models into a standard. And usually it's a mistake because you don't know exactly why they go in that direction for a standard. And if you start with shaky grounds, it will be hard for your software and so on. So we, we were told in 2012 that our model was basically too simple, but at the end it was an advantage. Being too simple sometimes means that you can evolve over time. Um, another thing that is very important is coping the format. What do you want to do with your format? Um, don't want to do everything from the early beginning, just have a specific clear scope that you want to cover. And then grow slowly. 
instead of willing to go for all the use cases at the early beginning. Um, and then having a very minimal sharing format that covers different use cases is interesting. So it's a kind of, of other paradox that you have to, to comply with. You create a standard that is basically used for exchanging information, but you want to keep it as simple as possible. Um, and we really believe that there is no way that there will be one format ruling all of them. It's bullshit. I mean, we have seen that for the past 30 years, that people claim that my format is better than the others. Like XML will rule over a BCDIC, maybe. Or JSON is better than X and so on. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, the format itself represents what the tool is using, and usually a format is basically linked to the tools. And that's fine. I mean, Yara rules are great, and they are really focused on specific activities. Yara rule doesn't need to be XML compliant. We don't care about it. It works perfectly for the purpose. And that's really what the thing that we, we wanted in, in MISP is basically we are really open on all the formats that we have. So that means we don't care if you use Suricata, Snort, Bro, whatever IDS and so on. We want to be able to get in data and get data out in the format that you really want. And that's something that we have seen. A lot of people are fighting between different formats, but it doesn't make sense. I mean, there's very good initiative going in that direction. Sigma, for example, is a very interesting one. Uh, it's basically a format to generalize how you interact with your CM. So it's basically a way it's kind of meta-language. And then you can convert it in different formats that are fitting the specific purpose of your different tools that you have behind. And that's very important for us. It's basically, you really have different formats that are fitting a specific use case. And you, you don't be a, need to be afraid of that. So don't be so proud of your format that will rule over the others. It's bullshit. I mean, it will never work. On the other hand, be proud of using other formats and use it perfectly when it's needed. And that makes sense. So, uh, and we have this joke, is being a follower on some format, like looking at what people are doing well, just use what people are doing well. I think it makes sense. Uh, and there's no weakness to that. Following people may be sometimes very interesting too. So, uh, initially the, the thing is, <laughs> how we design the format itself, and that's another mistake that we did. At the early beginning, the format uh, was really for starting for sharing information, but we, we had no example or real example of, of sharing information. So the initial format in 2011 uh, was really focusing on a specific use case where you are basically an organization and external. That's basically it. So we had a toggle flag saying that we go outside or inside, and that's basically it. Uh, so it was utterly simplistic. But it was a way to start and see what all people are sharing information. And over time, we evolved the, so the software into another models where people could share information. And then in 2012, we say, OK, maybe we have a limitation in our format. And we extend it that no people can share in uh, specific organizations, in what we call community, connected communities, or different uh, old communities where you can reach at the upper level. And we have these models. And then, you see it was gradual changes. It's not something that you came out of your mind, oh, it's a great idea, it will work. No, it's basically you have to test it and so on. And we tested that. And we saw later on that there were some limitations. And that's why we came with sharing groups in 2015, where we basically had those all models of sharings, but you can have sharing groups that are basically, you can share pick different organizations and even share those sharing groups um, and giving the information back. So um, you see that the evolutions of the format itself is really bound to how people use it. Uh, and that's why you start small, you see how they use it, and so it takes time. It's not something that by just doing one thing, it will solve all the problem directly. Uh, so we have some next step now with multiple sharing groups and stuff like that, signing within sharing groups and, and, and things like that. So if you're interested, I invite you to, to have a look at 
the MISP uh, format and standard, and you see how we do sharing and so on. Uh, we have some crazy idea, maybe some are completely wrong, some are very good, but we need to implement and test it uh, over the times. Going to another problem that we have is uh, the creativity of uh, human mind, which is great. I mean, we are all creative, we do all uh, very nice design and so on. Uh, maybe you follow the courses from Bob Ross for doing paintings in US. Uh, or, I mean, Philippe did a very nice uh, presentation about his uh, creativity of uh, using the Fab Lab for uh, creating those uh, labels and stuff like that. It's really great. Uh, we have some other people that are very creative. I got this logo on the top uh, from a contributor in US, French US contributors. Um, so, and then you can basically add many things. But now if we go back to creativity, to trade intelligence, uh, we have the same kind of problems. I don't know if a lot of people of you are familiar with the traffic light protocol, but the traffic light protocol has an interesting behavior. It's very simple. It's utterly simple. It's basically like four different layers, TLP white, green, uh, amber, and red, and you basically say that all you distribute information. It's like, you know, those red lights. That's basically it, nothing else. But so you expect that to be easy. So in MISP, what we started to do is like, oh, we should do tagging with TLP classification. Makes sense. But it's another mistake. I mean, people are fucking creative. I mean, they have good idea, all great idea like, okay, oh, should I write TLP amber? TLP amber with space, TLP amber all together with semicolon, with slash, with equal, uh, lowercase, uppercase. Complete disaster. And I remember we had this discussion for like two months and we were like, okay, how should we solve these issues? Like, we were like, oh, we should create mapping tables and you know, and then we're like, okay, but why don't we push users to use taxonomies, meaning libraries, existing libraries? And then on the corner of a table, we started an implementation. We say, okay, just taxonomies, triple tax, simple JSON file, we can describe it. And people just need to enable it. Um, so nowadays we have, I think, more than 55 nowadays taxonomies. Uh, you can have a look at it, uh, containing marking, classification, and things like that. And that's helping a lot. Because now you can do automations. Imagine that you have a lot of tagging that make no sense between each other. You really need to have a common way of, of tagging information. So you see that from the failures, we basically say, okay, we need to solve the problem and we tackle it. And we try it. And it's like this. And don't be demotivated. I mean, out of five or six failures in your code, maybe the seven or eight one will, will be a success. So that's very important for us um, too. And then we discover that, okay, people start to take events and so on, and then we say, oh yeah, but you need attributes. Oh yes, right. So we see people asking for more afterwards. Um, so if you are using MISP, you can nowadays add taxonomies, like for example, the lifetime of the information, where it's coming from, the, the estimative language, or you estimate the quality of the information, the source of information, and so on. So just a quick example, but it's basically showing you that coming from a very simple thing, tagging, it took like four years, to reach a way that you have libraries, people are using it, and so on. And nowadays it's a kind of success because everyone is using it for different tools, and that's great. But that takes time. So for the one wondering about the standardization effort that we have right now is basically what we do at IETF. So we document the core format. That's the initial document that we produce. Um, if you're curious, we produce the RFC document from Markdown format, so we generate the, uh, the internet draft at uh, regular intervals. Uh, the, question, the things that we are wondering right now is basically we maintain this depending on the implementation, so its code is low again. Uh, so the ATF is not really well done for that too because it needs to be fixed at some point, so you need to publish an RFC and make it fixed. 
But we have always an evolution of the format. Can be still backward compatible, but it takes time. So what we do right now is we basically a bit abuse internet draft format, and we basically regularly publish the updates. But the core format, for example, is very stable. I mean, we add some fields sometimes, but if you have a parser from the core format that are like three years old, you can still parse the old format and so on. And then we have additional formats for supporting what we do. Uh, core format, uh, for example, we started to have a, a way to template the data that you describe. So instead of, of forcing people to use a specific way of thinking, uh, we created a format what people can define how they want to share the information. And that's something that is interesting, is the object. Uh, so it's really a templating part. And as I said, the draft that you are reading is basically what you have in the standard. So you will never see someone popping up and say, I want this in the standard. No. First implement it, test it, and then it will be in the standard. So we never... So a lot of standards are coming in, this, in the other way around, but we think it's, I think it's a mistake for us, from our perspective. So what we describe currently, the core format is describing what you call events. Basically, event is an encapsulator where you have everything. Could be indicators, so attributes and so on. Uh, could be objects, could be taggings, like I'm mentioning, sharing groups, proposal to changes and so on. And the core format is very, very simple. I mean, it's like 40 pages of of text files, but it's, it's really straightforward. And then you have supporting ones for the taxonomies. So you can describe your taxonomy in a different way. The galaxies, which are very simple format, the warning list, and the object template describing the format itself. So if you look at the core format itself, um, it's really the way to exchange information between MISP or from MISP to other tools or different systems. Uh, and this format is basically an encapsulator, which is an event, and the event contains either an incident either information about a specific report, and so on. So we don't, don't really bond people to think into reporting, incident, and so on. Uh, we have seen over the time that, for example, some kind of meanings have a very strong um, feeling. I mean, for example, incident. Uh, you don't want to share information about your incident, because incident is like, okay, if, you have a, if you are a bank and you share uh, information about this bank's got this incident, it's not that. On the other hand, if you are a bank and you share information about things that you have seen, as an event, it's all fine, but it could be an incident too, but it's basically the meaning of things is very important. There's always a lot of background things uh, behind the scene. Um, so, and then that's the thing that was, I think, the unintended consequences. Initially for the taxonomies and galaxies and, and the warning list, we were like just like describing the format for ourselves. And then we see to, see to see starting to have people using the format because they think, okay, why well, I should reinvent the format, the format works well, they tested it, and we can contribute back. And for example, a lot of, of categorization that are done in the galaxies, where you describe trade actor and so on, are nowadays used by other software. Uh, Malpedia, OTX, uh, some of the websites are using it, and so on. That's very interesting because we get feedback, contributions, and we extend it uh, so, so in that way. So that means, for us, it's easier for the one creating the information to basically support you, and at the same time, you support them. Uh, it should be a bidirectional thing. So even if you create standards, you should think in a, in a different way and thinking of all the different organizations that might contribute back to you. Uh, and then we, what we discover too is we need to have a very simple format. Um, for example, for the TTP part, the trade actor, the way that people represent adversaries are all different. I mean, organizations have the different model. Some people are using the model from Lockheed Martin. Uh, Lockheed Martin has a specific model for trade actor definition and so on, but some have a different one. I mean, Russia may have a different ones than the US, or maybe some private organization in the US have different models and they don't want to share with the government. So we don't want to 
basically bound people and force people to use a specific model for uh, describing trade actors, for example. So that's why in the galaxy model, we have this kind of loosely freely definable key value store. Uh, so it's basically a key value format where people can describe whatever they want. And you can, nowadays we have people describing, for example, uh, pre preventive measures. So it's not only adversary things, but preventive measures. For example, we use the attack model from Maitre, it's represented as a galaxy. And we see that at the end, it was good to have a model that is not bound to any model that people think of. Same with the object. Uh, for the people that are familiar with NetFlow, for example, you have this templating mechanism in NetFlow where you can extend the format as you wish. Now we have this in Lisp. So you can create your own object. You can even share things that other Lisp doesn't know about. Like, for example, we, I've seen a use case where people are exchanging car plates. Um, and then it's basically the addition in car plate from one list to the other, but we don't know about the format. They just describe the, the template, and then other MISP can read the format immediately because it's a templating format. So it's quite interesting too. You, can, you are not bonding people to use a specific data structures. So you basically help them to structure their information in the way they want. And we propose by default vocabularies for the one that want to use the existing one. I think in the object templates, we have more like 65 object templates ranging from files, P executable, uh, for example, the mapping that we do from leaf to uh, it's an object template, um, things like X509 certificate, uh, URL definitions, the extraction from FOB, for example, from URL is, is basically a MISP object too, uh, and then you can reuse it. So it's a common format of, of outputting. So to conclude of, of today's talk is basically there is a lot of theory, uh, and that's usually when a lot of, of standardization are clashing, it's basically with practices. Uh, and what I, what I want, want to say is basically what we have seen is you can have a lot of theoretical discussion about things and so on, but at some point you really need to uh, figure out how you define your standard and test it, code it and so on. So it's not a bad thing to start from programming. We heard always this kind of statement like, oh, you start already programming, but we didn't define anything. Like, yeah, why not? I mean, you test, you implement things, and then you just go over and over and over. So it's for us, it was really one of the mistakes that we did at the early beginning. We were like two, doing two theoretical things and then designing to implement it. Nowadays, what we do, we do implementation, test it, and validate it in front of the users. And then if it's a failure, we don't find, we don't, we, are, we don't care, and we go back, we reiterate, and we try again. And that's, that's really an important thing for open source developers. So don't be afraid of basically having a lot of feedbacks. Uh, people, sh people shooting at you on Twitter or complaining about your software that you are developing, having issue, it's fine. It's great even. If you start to have complaints, and I think going back to a presentation of yesterday at the RAM sessions, a lot of people are complaining about PHP, for example, but a lot of uh, people are basically developing and using PHP for various implementations, and it's used by major websites too. So that means if people are complaining, that means people are using your software. If no one is complaining, no one gives a fuck about your software. So basically just do your work, make it better, be open to everyone, but just like improve your software and that will be a success at the end. So if you're interested and you want to join one of our sharing communities, you can go to info at circle.lu, we can uh, give access to various uh, organizations, private organizations, uh, even uh, security researcher and so on. Um, on GitHub slash MISP, you have all the repository that are the one that we maintain uh, for, the, uh, for the project. And obviously we have... Uh, uh, an extensive website with all the details from the format and so on. So that's basically it for me. Thank you very much.
Any question? Feedback? Complaints? <laughs> so, uh, there's a lot of wisdom in what you sell. Like, seriously, like, how to start something and starting with, with the, uh, writing the code, understanding, and going gradually. So, have you th thought about documenting this and making it like available for everybody beyond just the, uh, the code structure that you have? Like, just some of the things you said were like gold and just putting it out there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good idea. Um, we, we had this discussion like six months ago, and uh, we got feedback from an organization in Switzerland that looks at how we develop software, and they say maybe you should document what you are doing. Uh, but we are, we are a bit like of a shame of because it's, it's, it's sometimes so simple or minimalist uh, that we are a bit like a shameful of, of basically just doing a document for that. Uh, but the PMF model was one of the first ones that we think that it should be documented. So we started like these documentations. Initially, it started like a joke, uh, but maybe there's a reality behind. So yeah, we, we might go in that direction. Um, so if you want to contribute with us on, on that, we'd be very interested. Okay, thank you very much.